Fictional Page presents Read Before Midnight, Season 1, Episode 4, General Obligatory System, a.k.a. Gobs, by W.H. Maxwell, read by the author. There was an alarm calling to him from deep within the unconsciousness, pulling him back to reality with a dulled yellow light, and then the pain came. His lungs burned and limbs flailed wildly, instinctively. Gas hissed in the darkness, and his back arced, and he attempted to vomit. This was obstructed, though, by a hard and cold steel-like rod that reached through his mouth and down into the deep of him. His arms thrashed about blindly, feeling only rubbery resistance. Then there was a dreadful tearing sound. The rod inserted down his mouth and through his chest was suddenly ripped clean as the liquid flowed around him, and he fell. The drop ended abruptly as he clashed against hard, cold metal, knocking the wind out of him. Naked, blinking tears from his eyes, he curled himself into a fetal position on the rough metal beneath him. A klaxon began to flash yellow somewhere beyond his eyelids as he choked at the air and shivered spasmodically. Slowly, he began to come back to himself. More, he was aware of his motions, of his arms, holding himself, of the wiggling of his toes. Master Duncan, you appear to have fallen, a familiar voice said. Duncan tried to speak, but his throat was shattered glass and sand. This brought about another fit of coughing and dry heaving. Tears streamed from his face in such rivers he could not open them to blink, or to see beyond simple figures. It appears you may have suffered mild poisoning, the melodic voice continued. I recommend immediate medical evaluation at the medbay to assess any damage and treatment options. Gobs, Duncan managed. Is... what happened? It appears you may have suffered mild poisoning, Gobbs repeated. You also suffered from a minor fall, although damage appears superficial. I recommend immediate medical evaluation at the medbay to assess any damage and treatment options. Duncan shook his head, feeling the room spin as he did so. How did I... he grunted, and then coughed again. Each word felt like splitting up a nail. The robot waited patiently. When the coughing subsided, Duncan tried again. How did I get here? What happened to me? You appear to have suffered a mild poisoning event, Master Duncan, Gobbs began. Gobbs, where the fuck am I? Duncan cut him off. You are aboard your ship, sir, stationed on an off-system planet, Cassandra 431A, Gobbs answered. Duncan pressed his hands into his face hard, until the stinging in his eyes and lungs had dulled to a manageable level. He felt weak and shaky, as though he had been asleep for a long time and was just now waking up. How did I get here? Where is Cassandra? His head throbbed. Cassandra 431A is in the Cassian Soul, an unclaimed arm of the Tyrium Mining Expanse region. That makes no sense, Duncan said, now rubbing his eyes hard enough to see spots. I've never heard of any of this. What happened to Koreska? And Sagittarius Station? How far? We are a good distance from Sagittarius Sol, sir, and it would take some time to have the ship ready for a journey of that magnitude. I highly recommend that we proceed to the medical bay for evaluation of minor poisoning effects and possibly minor concussion from the fall. Gobbs answered, a sense of genuine care and urgency in his voice. The metal and liquid against his skin felt cold, and he was shivering. Looking up between bleary eyes, Duncan saw Gobbs clearly for the first time. His familiar look, 
like that of a metallic, tubular centaur, struck Duncan as odd only because of the differences he could notice offhand. The patchwork of metal colors on the underside and on each leg, where once they had been only polished chrome and white rubber joints. What had happened? And his right forearm was clearly a newer replacement piece, suddenly there without explanation. After a moment, when Duncan said nothing, Gobbs repeated his request to escort him to the medical bay. This time, Duncan obliged like an impatient child at bedtime, no fight left for it, and tried to rise to his feet, but his legs gave out before he could put any real weight on them. His whole body felt weak and soft. Even the palms of his hands and feet seemed sensitive to every rough surface or bump. Only with Gobbs' help, the robot extending both of his forward arms to lift Duncan to his feet and hold him there, was he able to right himself. The world felt woozy. The light from the klaxon was too bright, too yellow. The alarm, not half as loud as he had first thought, seemed to hurt. Supporting him with one of his long, rigid arms, Gobbs led him along gently, as a nurse would guide a hospice patient down the hall. They passed rows of waste disposal sacks, hung like beef in a freezer. Duncan noted the intake and exit piping of rubbery hoses leading both from the top and bottom of the chambers, where the automatic door whooshed open and Gobbs ushered him through. The hallway was unremarkable, matte metal and minimalistic, but even still, it was off. Duncan noticed some of the plants that had been hung here and there for air quality had been removed, and the walls had a greasy, unwashed look. After a moment, he realized the color and intensity of the light was off, and he knew why. Why are we running on emergency power? He asked. You ordered it so after we landed to divert power from all non-necessary ship and medical functions, Cobbs replied. Medical? Duncan's head pounded. What had happened? Why couldn't he remember? When he tried to remember, the pounding in his head got worse, throbbing now. He didn't remember landing the ship anywhere. He had been... He stumbled, and Gobbs caught him, the robot's movements swift and precise and perfect. The long cylinder that was both his torso and face turned its singular black eye toward him. It is not far, sir, but if you want, I can carry you, Gobbs said. It's fine, Duncan wheezed, trudging onward. They passed a door that Duncan did not recognize, but when he paused for a moment, Gobbs' gentle but firm hand pressed him onward. What's that room, Gobbs? We should really keep moving, sir. I am afraid your injuries may be more severe than previously expected. I believe you may be suffering from mild poisoning and a potential concussion. Your physical state in general is puzzling. We should proceed to the medical bay. Duncan didn't have the strength to argue with the damn robot, or the will. He felt as though he would collapse at any moment. Alone, he thought, he would have been in real danger. Dead, most likely. At least, though... As persistently annoying as he was, Gobbs was there. And Gobbs would do one thing, if only one thing persistently right, and that was take care of him. Even in his half-delirium, Duncan had intrinsic faith in Gobbs's protection of him, if nothing else at the moment. It was the robot's core function, after all. The medical bay door, marked with a red cross, hissed open. Duncan saw the patient bench under the operation device and dropped into it. The bench molded and reclined around his body, while the analysis device scanned him overhead. Gobbs took position next to the machine and waited. After a moment, several metal arms, like thin and tiny snakes, descended upon him. Duncan did his best to hold still. After a moment, he felt one stick his arm with something that must have been an opioid. 
because suddenly he was much lighter and the world seemed further away, softer and warmer. He watched in dumb amusement as the metal snakes danced over his body, injecting and prodding and scanning each piece of him. It would hurt for a moment here and there, but he hardly minded. When it was finished, one final snake gave him an injection directly into his stomach, and the world came into cold focus again. His skin prickled, and goosebumps covered him, aware for the first time how cold the room was. The screen on his left displayed his diagnostic and treatment information, and Duncan read it. Neurotoxin, tetrodoxin detected, sodium plasma dialysis and countertoxin applied, anemic, severe blood loss and plasma loss, blood, marrow supplement given, vitamin C plus booster administered. The rest was a various readout of the pain medications and general physical status, all normal and within expected ranges. Tetrodotoxin, anemia, Duncan said now feeling more like a man with a cold and a bad hangover than on the brink of death. And vitamin C, well, standard practice with these models of Mendox. He observed, smiling slightly at the absurdity of the vitamin at a time like this, and surprised to find a small piece of his humor returning. Do you feel better, sir? Gobbs asked flatly. Much, Gobbs, thank you, Duncan said. When he attempted to sit up, however, the room swam for a moment, and he felt an unpleasant bump in his chest as his heart skipped a beat. The throbbing in his head came back, too, though a distant beating compared to the gong blasts that had been before. Your skin is pale, and your body temperature is slightly lower than normal. You should avoid physical exertion and rest, Gobbs said. Duncan shook his head. No, Gobbs, I need to know what happened. Where am I? How did we get here? Gubbs uncharacteristically paused, his large black eye fixed upon him in a simple stare, like the considering watch of a cow out to pasture. We are on Cassandra 431A, sir, in your ship. You ordered the landing and encampment process here, sir. Should we run diagnostics on potential cranium injuries again, sir? No, damn it, Duncan snapped. There's nothing wrong with my head. Apologies, sir, I did not mean to aggravate you. However, we have been over this information before, when... Gobbs replied evenly. No, we have not, Gobbs, Duncan said, his voice rising. I remember falling to the grating. I remember you being there and telling me that we were on Cassandra and that I had ordered this. But I don't, I can't remember that being so. And I can hardly think of a reason why I would do that and not remember why. He was breathing heavy, and sweat was working itself up despite the cold. Duncan's patience at this game finally waning. He could not recall a single time ever having so much frustration with Gobbs. He was designed to avoid user frustration, a perfect servant companion. He eyed the robot as he caught his breath. Had Gobbs betrayed him? Had he malfunctioned somehow, or... But even half delirious, the idea seemed absurd. Gobbs was only a robot, after all made by humans to help humans. I am sorry, sir, but you seem to be forgetting, Gobbs simply said. No, Gobbs, I am not forgetting. If you like, sir, I could show you the ship's data logs on the entry and landing procedures, as well as the expanded modulizations, the medical bay, for example, and the laboratory. Perhaps that will help you remember. The way the robot spoke was so perfect, so pleasant, and his answer so correct, that Duncan found it hard to stay frustrated with him. Yes, Duncan said, nodding. That... that would be good. I need to see this for myself. 
Do you feel ready to stand, sir? We will have to walk to the control room, which is... I know where the control room is, Gobbs. But he stopped himself. Unless we have moved that too. Did we? No, Gobbs said. Moving the core controls and central reactor would have been impossible due to the construction of the vessel. Moreover, I can see no benefit that would have been provided had we... Duncan was already standing, though. Then, step by step, he moved to the cabinet in the corner and rifled out an old and starchy jumpsuit. Gobbs helped him balance as he lifted each leg, then groaned with the strain of it as he bent and fitted it around his waist and arms. Once fully zipped inside, no longer naked, he felt more like a man than some lost animal. Then they were walking again, past the hiss of the automatic door, and into the hallway. This time Duncan moved with some assuredness, because he at least knew where they were going. The modulized addition to the ship, which included the medical wing, had a newer, cleaner feel to it than did his actual ship. The vessel was a classic CV-81 model Terran-based single stream, ever-reliable and affordable, but he was hardly her first owner in the century since she had been constructed. Still, the degrade on the ship, and even on the newer modules, was apparent. Cassandra-431A must be, Duncan thought, a volatile or caustic planet to have degraded and dirtied so much of the interior so quickly. And the landing must have been... He stopped himself. Must have what? Been so bad that he ended up in a garbage chute? His head throbbed again. None of that made any sense. He could remember studying the instructional manual on CV-81 crash landing scenarios. Albeit, quite a few planetary crash landing resulted in the ship's total destruction. Very few saw it come out in a half-rusted and deprecated state. And in every one of those, the pilot crash-landed in a seat, or launched the drop pod to escape. He and Gobbs passed into the main corridor between the reactor and the bridge, both turned together toward the control room door at the end of the hall. When they reached it, Gobbs stepped to the side to allow Duncan to be scanned by the door reader, just like old times. But the door didn't open, and Duncan stepped face-first into the solid metal, banging his right foot and knee at the same time. He swore and doubled over, holding his hand over his nose and checking for any blood. You had the system at a numerical redundancy, sir, Gob said, raising one rubbery finger and indicating the pin pad next to the door. What? Duncan was still holding his head, half surprised and half listening. You had the system add in a numerical... Damn it, Gobbs, no, Duncan said, his frustration returning. I know what you said. Why? Why, why did I add an additional security feature like this? Gobbs's large, singular eyes stared onward, expressionless, unblinking. For additional security, sir, Gobbs said, total sincerity. Then why do I not remember doing that, Gobbs? Duncan said, his voice almost breaking with exasperation. I do not know, sir, Gobbs said. I do not understand. Duncan recovered now shook his head in disbelief. What was going on with him? With Gobbs? With everything? Gobbs? After a long silence, Duncan asked. Do you know what the code is? Yes, Gobbs said. It is 08122327. Duncan recognized the numbers at once. It's my birthday, he said more in amazement than to anyone, but Gobbs responded in the affirmative regardless. As Duncan entered the code into the archaic device, he asked, Gobbs, is there anyone else on the ship? Or on the planet at all? Only you, sir, Gobbs said, and the door opened.
Inside the cramped control room, Duncan saw a twisted mirror of the room he had left. The general shell of the room, the double seats, the control systems to either side. All of it was the same, but different. All of his things were gone, or long since soiled, mostly stripped away entirely. Power cables ran from under one control panel into the ceiling and coiled into the co-pilot's chair like the workbench of a sloppy technician. The LDSCR display that took up the front nose, like the glass of his ancestors, gave him an incredible view of a bare and endless desert. Millions of stars smattered against the dark and empty sky above where the ship lay. A tin can balanced on the edge of a starry abyss. The sight made Duncan's head swim, but he ignored it and dropped himself into the pilot's chair with a familiar motion. It felt good, and it felt right in this nightmare where everything else was oddly ajar. Duncan flicked on a small switch on the main controls and initiated a series of commands to the onboard computer. A few dull lights in the cabinet flicked on, and the display window brought up a series of menus and infographics. Duncan was about to go through the systems check and power routine, as was procedure, when he saw it. He gasped audibly. It had to be a mistake. It had to be a mistake. Gobs, Duncan called, barely able to find his voice. Gobs, Gobs. Yes, Gobs said comfortably. The robot made his way into the tiny room by the side of the co-pilot's seat, but could make it no further unless the cabling and control box was replaced. Gobs, Duncan repeated hoping the robot would demonstrate the error in his thinking, hoping the robot would tell him he got hit on the head, or was forgetting, or confused, or, or... Gobbs, is that right? He was pointing to the corner of the window on the display. Yes, Gobbs said. The time and date are accurate to Universal Standard Terran. That's impossible, Duncan said. Gobbs, that can't be right. Gobbs paused, then affirmed. Based on a short calculation and series of estimates, I believe the ship's navigational clock to be accurate within ten nines or nine nine point nine 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 percent accurate, sir. Duncan felt like the wind had been knocked out of him. He couldn't understand. How long have we been here, Gobbs? He sounded like a small child. You anchored the ship planetside two hundred and forty seven years ago, sir, as per your orders. Gobbs replied. Duncan sat there. He couldn't breathe. The cold from only minutes ago seemed distant, impossible. A heat had crawled up from his stomach, and he would have been sick had there been anything to give. It was the soft, rubbery hand on his shoulder, gently rubbing in a tender and caring way, that brought him around. Gobbs, Duncan said finally, is there anyone else on this ship? Only you. Gob said. Duncan turned back to the controls and input a command to the vessel AI, then another. The second parameter caught a change in the distinct heat levels in one of the modulized rooms. Duncan waved a hand, and the floor layout and sensor reading came up onto the screen. Duncan did not recognize the room feature, as it had been added after their departure from Cassandra. But he knew who would. Gobbs, Duncan said, pointing to the display. What room is that? The laboratory, sir. Take me there, Duncan said. The robot turned and began to walk, through the doorway and back down the hall they had come. Duncan recognized the room even from his delirious state on the trip to the medical wing, the one Gobbs had politely ignored. It, too, he saw, had a small keypad. 
Without asking for the code, Duncan entered the numbers and watched the door hiss open. When they were in the control room, Duncan had thought of a number of things that might explain, or at least try to explain, his situation. But none of his little theories had prepared him for what he saw, and all at once he understood. The old man on the other side of the operating table looked up from a seated position through a mat of wild and white hair. A lamp was aiming down from the ceiling, and two of the coiled snake-like arms of the medical unit dancing around surreally under the old man's watchful eye. The body on the operating table, naked and organs exposed, Duncan's body lay lifeless between them. No, was all Duncan managed to say. The old man, slowed by the isolation in time, squinted through the light and called out meekly, Gobbs, how did you... The voice, simultaneous familiarity and alienness of it, struck Duncan like a blow to the gut. He shivered and his head swam. The old man called again, this time rising to his feet. His eyes caught Duncan's and then darted sideways to the gas pistol on the table. Duncan lunged forward, half from realization, half from instinct. The old man had the initiative, but age slowed him, and Duncan wrestled the pistol from his hand, stepped back, and raised it at the other. Why? Duncan cried. How? Why? The old man shook his head. There was no other way. No, Duncan said. There had to be. This isn't me. The older Duncan bit his lip, looking like a caught schoolboy. I tried everything. I did. I spent 45 years searching for the right proteins, the right compounds. Vigirus to Sol to Lyra. Each system, the same answer. Each problem solved, two more emerged. If not the heart, then the brain would fail. If we reduced the antioxidants, corrected for immune response, then the telomeres still shrank. The result was the same every time. It was Duncan's turn to shake his head. I would never do this. I would never do this to myself. But at this, the other him actually smiled. Beneath the yellowing beard and wild milky eyes, his smile sprawled with an artificial whiteness. But you do. We did. And he raised his arms wide. Duncan motioned with the pistol to the robot in the hallway. He can't see the room, the other answered. The question's not needing to be asked. I put sensors on the doorframe. It makes the space appear white to him. A veil of invisibility he cannot see or comprehend through. As long as the bodies, he gestured to the clone on the table, are properly wrapped in the disposal bags, he will remove them at my command. And he never questions why he's being asked to gas them, then? Duncan added, understanding now how the robot had betrayed him so thoroughly. That's right, because he's unaware he is violating any orders or harming anyone at all. And most of you are dead by that point anyway, the other finished, patting the corpse next to him affirmingly. I collect what I need from the bodies, blood, organs, genetic material, and so on. And then Gobbs cleans up the garbage. Duncan was shaking now, struggling to keep the pistol steady on the other. So what now? the other asked. You kill me? Is that it? Poetic justice? Duncan took a step backward toward the door, still pointing the gun as best he could. I'm not killing anyone, he said, 
least of all myself. I'm leaving. The older him laughed, this time loudly and mockingly. And go where? Everyone is dead. Raula, Paul, Catherine. Everyone is dead and gone. The Republic is in total shambles now. Soul-to-soul transit is highly limited, and security measures ensure that clones such as yourself, and he raised a spotted and bony finger accusingly, are killed on sight at any port. You won't get far. You won't get anywhere. You will just die. Duncan was at the edge of the door. He felt as weak as if the gas had just hit him, disgusted and in shock as much as afraid. I don't care, he said. I should have died a long time ago. And he walked back out the door, looking at himself, until they hissed shut again. Sir, Gob said, you appear to be shaking. Are you okay? Duncan whipped the control panel with the large metal canister that was the underside of the gas pistol. It burst into a dozen different pieces and made a low humming sound. I'm okay, Gobbs, Duncan said, taking the robot's arm. Get me to the control room and get me ready to power up the ship. Detach the modules onto stand-alone power. We're taking off. Fifteen minutes later, Duncan had the main reactor back online and was powering up to full. Gobbs had moved the wiring and reinstalled the portside system to proper order and was now seated in the co-pilot position. Systems are clear for takeoff and launch, sir. Once final reactor count is complete, we can begin launch sequence with minimal thrust against the absent atmospheric resistance from the planet, Gobbs said. Do you wish to proceed? Duncan glanced to his left at the thermal reading from the laboratory unit. He could see the shape on the layout continue working at the bench he had left the other version of himself. He could recognize the red outline entering in commands on the medical unit for extraction or refinement or organ transfer. With that, he looked back at his companion next to him, blue and silver in the starry light. One simple black eye staring back, watchfully, trustingly. Thank you very much for listening. Your thoughts and time are very valuable, so thank you for choosing to spend some of it here with me. Wherever you are out there, know that you are not alone and that we will be here to keep telling stories through the night. If you enjoyed this story, please like and subscribe, and tell friends and family who like this sort of stuff. As an independent writer and artist, producing these works takes a ton of time and effort, done purely from a passion to tell stories. If you want to support me directly, please consider checking out my other works at www.fictionalpage.com or become a patron at patreon slash fictionalpage or use the links below. Thanks for listening, and until next time.